Thanks, Vec. We'll keep that open. And uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, great to see uh, some mums among us. And uh, my name is Hazy. Um, and yeah, we're really glad you're here with us at church. Um, Mother's Day was actually started by a Christian in a church, um, Anna Jarvis, in 1907. Um, although she spent the last 20 years of her life protesting against it, it had become too commercial. She began, um, she began Mother's Day to honour her own mother's life of servant, service. Um, Anna's mother, um, Anne, uh, devoted her time to volunteering with her church in programs to improve the rates of Im- infant mortality. And Anna learnt from her mother the importance of honouring mothers. Um, and so that's what we're going to do tonight. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I have some trepidation because it's a heated topic. I've got no personal experience of it. But we do have God's word, so I'll pray to him that he'll help us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word, and we thank you for your love. Uh, Though you teach us to call you Father, in Isaiah, when you want to teach us about your love, your commitment, your yearning, your nurturing care, you liken yourself to a mother's love, and we pray, please, that you will help us to understand what your word says about honouring mothers tonight. Help me to speak what is true, and help us to have soft hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is great to be able to honour mothers tonight. Uh, We've all had a mother. That's a big claim, I know, but I think it's right. Uh, And we've all had different experiences with mothers. Um, We know they're not perfect because nobody is. And yet we're so thankful for the care, the sacrifices, the love. And it's really really great to have a day to honour them. But um, as we heard earlier, today can be painful. There are those who long to be mothers, those who've lost mothers or children those who've been let down or or carry with them the guilt of their own past decisions. The Bible says we live in a fallen world and we feel the pain of that. Uh, The good things that God made, fractured by the effects of sin and death. And so uh, we, we have prayed for you, continue to pray for you today. We hope you find comfort in the family of God that you have here. That is what Jesus actually said we are. Mark chapter 3, you can turn there in your Bibles. Uh, Mark chapter 3 uh, verse 31, they say to Jesus, look, your mum and your brothers have come to get you. And he looks at his followers and he says, here are my mother and brother, brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so Jesus did not prize the nuclear family above all. Jesus stressed the new family that he was creating, the church Now, he wasn't doing that to pull the biological family down. No, he was putting it into its proper context. The bigger, blood-bought family of God. And so, 1 Timothy 5, verse 2, Paul tells the church to treat older women as mothers. Honour them as your spiritual mothers. And you know, there are women in our church who, who never raised their own child, and yet they have hundreds of spiritual children. Heaven will be filled with their family of faith. And so today, our church honours not only our physical mothers, but the role that all of these women play in our lives. Uh, And so if you find today painful, I pray, and I have been praying, that you'll find in this family, sisters and brothers, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, a hundred times what you've missed elsewhere. Here's an interesting thing. Even our pain honours motherhood. 
Our pain speaks of the goodness of what could have been, what should have been. And so even our pain honours the goodness of what God has given us in motherhood. And so no matter your experience, everyone knows that mothers matter, that they should be honoured. And so, as I said, that's what we're going to do together tonight. We're going to honour mothers and we'll see the way the Bible honours mothers. And so, have a look at Matthew 15, the bit that was just read for us. And we see Jesus teaches us to honour our mother. Verse 4, it's Jesus speaking and he quotes from the Ten Commandments. Commandment number 5, honour your father and your mother. Now, the context here is a dispute between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day, you can see that in verse 1, and Jesus criticises them, verse 3. He says they've listened to the words of people when they should have listened to the words of God. And so they break the commands of God for the sake of their traditions, for, for human ideas. And that's a danger for all of us, even, even our leaders here at, at this church. Pray that God keeps us from it. And that's why we, we do what we do. We read the Bible and have it preached Um, You're not here to hear my thoughts, we're not here to study some human philosophy. If there's a God who made us, He's the one we listen to. And that's why normally we go through a book of the Bible. Just so happens, by chance, that the last three I've done have all been on a topic. Monique says, you're going to get a reputation. I don't want that reputation. I love going through the Bible and my next sermon is going to be that. And that's what we do as a church, we just keep going through the Bible. um, Because it's God's words. Notice that Jesus puts God's words into a category of their own. He puts them above human words, verse 3 and verse 5, or verse 6. And so that's why we read from God's Word. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day were nullifying, verse 6, God's Word. And so to show it to them, what he does is he picks one of the commands of the Old Testament. And so again, worth noting, Jesus sees the Old Testament as God's Word. And verse 4, God said... Honour your father and mother. That is the area that they're not listening to God's word. Verses 5 and 6. Now, did you notice that he's talking to adults? Sometimes we can think that there are nine commands for adults and one for children. Well, it does apply to children. So Ephesians chapter 6, Paul quotes the same command and says, Children, obey your parents. So that's one of the ways that children honour their parents by obeying them. But as you become an adult, something changes. In fact, the very first time the word mother occurs in the Bible, it's in the context of leaving her. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, talking about marriage, it says a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. The goal of a mother is that the child grows up and leaves. It's not to make them forever dependent on you, it's to mature them into an adult. And so the relationship changes, especially if you get married, your your primary family becomes the new one that you just created. And yet the command to honour your mother does not stop. You see, the New Testament quotes this command six times, only one of them is addressed to children. The other five are like this one, to adults. And so what does it look like to honour your mother as an adult? The word honour, it's not the same word as obey. Jesus didn't always obey his parents as an adult. Now, he did as a child, 
but not always as an adult. So Mark chapter 3, we turned to a moment ago, earlier that chapter, verse 21, his family actually tries to stop his ministry. They say he's out of his mind and that's why at the end of the chapter they've come to him, they're trying to stop him. But he doesn't stop. And so the word honour is not the same as the word obey. It's a broader word. It means to prize highly, to treat them as valuable. So this morning, my kids and I tried to do that for Monique. Burnt toast and a cold cup of tea, we really sent her the message. (laughs) Now that's one way to honour a mother and I hope you've done that today as you've had opportunity, a a card, a letter, a meal, a visit, a phone call and you honour her with your words, you express your gratitude, you praise her. But not just one day a year, What does it look like to do it year-round? Well, it honours her when you listen to her. I don't know if you've heard this saying, if at first you don't succeed, try doing it the way your mum told you to do it in the first place. (laughs) Now, even though you don't need to obey, honour the wisdom of her years. And so, mum, I'm sorry, I haven't always done this very well. I'll try to do it better. And if you do live in your parents' house, you depend on them financially... You probably ought to be even more willing to follow their lead. But one of the things verse 4 says is um, that honouring your mother means not cursing them, not saying things about them or to them that are designed to harm them. Now, there's some complexities here because uh, it, it can happen that a person is wronged or hurt by their father or mother And there are appropriate ways to bring that up, to raise issues, to disagree, to share with a counsellor, even, if necessary, go to the police. Because this is not the only command in the Bible. Jesus says you're to obey him over even your parents, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. They have some authority as your parents, but Jesus has all authority as the Lord of the universe. And so he teaches us to speak the truth, Seek what is right and good and just. Protect the vulnerable. And all that means there's some complexities here. But even if you do need to bring up wrongs in whatever way is appropriate to the situation, this command will still shape the way that you do it. You won't be vindictive. You won't be malicious. You'll be as respectful as possible and careful of your own motives. And so I wonder as you think about your own interactions with your parents, not just today... And in all the complexity that there always is, to differing degrees, how is your tone? How are your motives? There's one way that the Bible teaches us to honour our father and mother, don't curse them. There's another way though in verse 5 and it's to care for them, especially as they become old and frail. And so I'm sorry if you're a mum here tonight, that's the forecast. You cared for your children and changed their nappies. One day you'll need someone to care for you and... I'm not going to finish that sentence. (laughs) That's actually what Jesus is pinging the religious leaders on here, verse 5, because they thought they found a loophole. If you don't want to spend your time and money looking after your elderly parents, you know what you do? Just declare it all devoted to God. Because God wins over parents, right? And so you don't have to help them. And then double loophole, that sometimes God says it's okay to use that money for yourself. 
And so you don't have to help them, but you get to enjoy your own money and time yourself. They'd worked out a way to, to get around this, this requirement to honour their father and mother um, by caring for them as they got older. And so there you go. There's one thing that it'll mean for you to honour your father and mother. Care for them as they get older, which might mean spending time with them, especially as their friends, I'm sorry to say, get older, die. There's an epidemic of loneliness in Australia, um, particularly among older people. It might be practical care, transport or organising appointments or even uh, 1 Timothy 5 says financially if that's needed. Now there's complexities again that we can't go into now, things like aged care versus India home, families are very complicated. But I do want to just talk quickly about one danger that I think might face us. Beware, I think I've done this at times, beware not to use uh, God things as an excuse to not care for your parents. You know, I'm too busy helping out at church. Well, that's very similar to what Jesus is busting these religious leaders for, isn't it? Now, again, it's complicated, everything's complicated, because Jesus himself left his mum to die on the cross. Now, that's a pretty big reason. We don't all have that kind of a reason. But even then, Jesus cared for his mum. In fact, John chapter 19, verse 26 this beautiful moment where uh, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he sees his mother and the disciple John, his, one of his best friends, and he says, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple he says, here's your mother. And so from that time on, the disciple, it says, took her into his home. Now, I'd never thought about that verse until this week. But John, who wrote that gospel, was not only best mates with Jesus, but then he went on to live with his mum. Probably had a pretty good insight into Jesus. But even there, you can see how Jesus honours his mum and cares for her, makes sure that she's cared for, even as he simultaneously points to this bigger family of faith. But I wonder, does it surprise you, the importance that Jesus is placing on honouring your father and mother? Firstly, are you surprised that it made the top 10? On the Commandments Greatest Hits album, it's there, right there. In fact, ahead of Do Not Murder, just behind Don't Make an Idol. Second, you might be surprised that it's not just honour your father. It's honour your father and mother. It's been claimed by some that the Bible is anti-women. It's trying to keep women down under the power of men. And that is actually what the ancient world was like at the time the Bible was written, just not the Bible. So let me show you um, an ancient legal code, it's called the Code of Hammurabi, from a similar era, in a similar place, uh, Babylon, and it says, if a son strikes his father, they shall cut off his hand. But it doesn't say anything about the mother. Whereas Exodus 31, which Jesus is quoting in verse 4, prohibits cursing father or mother. And it's not even always father first, then mother. Leviticus 19.3 has them in the other order, mother and father. The point is, honour them both equally. Now, that's not surprising, I think, for most of us, because we've grown up on the Bible and our culture has grown up on the Bible, but this was revolutionary. The same honour is to go to the mother as to the father. They're not inferior, they're certainly not property, no, they're to be honoured right alongside fathers, even by their adult 
children, even by their sons as well as daughters. Some people imagine that the Bible just wants to make women into slaves. Books like The Hands, Handmaid's Tale, which I'm reading at the moment, just out of interest, who's read it or had to read it for school? There's definitely more than that. Let's try again. Who's read it or had to read it for school? Oh, okay. Some. Ah, TV series is terrible. I couldn't watch it. But the book's a lot better, I think. But anyway, (laughs) how do we get here? It is, in some schools, a a text um, for Year 11, and it sends the message that if Christians got what they wanted, women would basically be slaves, basically sex slaves. The thing is that the world it describes is nothing like the Bible's teaching, nothing at all. Now, it quotes from the Bible, but it misses the point of the passages that it quotes. It's actually like if I got up here with a copy of The Handmaid's Tale and read you a bit of it and said, this is how Margaret Atwood thinks women should be treated. No, 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 you missed the point. She's showing how they shouldn't be treated. Well, yes, and that's what Genesis 30 is doing as well. Half the stuff in the Bible is there to say, look how bad humans are. It's not saying go and do it. The world of The Handmaid's Tale is is nothing like the Bible's teaching. You know what it is like? It's like the ancient world where the Bible hadn't yet spread. Take ancient Rome, it saw men as superior to women. And so in AD 64, the emperor filled the brothels with with women from every walk of life. That was kind of a power move, no matter how rich or poor they were. And he said that, Pastor Law, that they weren't allowed to refuse any man... A first century Roman Stoic philosopher wrote this, it is accepted that every master is entitled to use his slave as he desires, and that included sexually. So uh, Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, but the author, writes, in Rome, men no more hesitated to use slaves and prostitutes to relieve themselves of their sexual needs than they did to use the side of the road as a toilet. There There were many more men than women in ancient Rome. Why? Because... Many baby girls were abandoned after birth, which is just another distressing example of the way women were seen as less precious than men. Whereas the Bible says that men and women are equal. Genesis chapter 1, equally created in the image of God. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7, equally heirs of salvation, equal in creation, equal in salvation... And this is liberating, not just for women, but for everyone. Whether or not you are gifted or competent or can do what that person can do, you are equal. You don't have to try to prove it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to fight for it. You just are equal. Not based on your earning capacity or your achievements. It's because you are made in the image of God. And so the New Testament says to men that they must not use women to satisfy their sexual desires. Instead, it says, love your wives like Jesus loves the church and lay your life down for them. Not use them, commit to them, serve them, her. Seek her good against and ahead of your good. And so when the Bible's message spread through the ancient Roman Empire, it dramatically improved the conditions for women. You got the first legal protections, for example. It was revolutionary. It upended the the male-centered cultures around it. And it has now changed our world so much that these things just seem obvious. 
but it's still worth saying. So let me, before we move on, young men, if you become fathers, do not imagine you deserve any more honour than your wife. She's not your servant, it's not your kingdom. She's your equal, she's your co-heir and it's God's kingdom. And so teach your children to honour their mother. Be more willing to accept them talking back to you, dishonouring you, than her. But more importantly than that, show them what it looks like to honour their mother. Honour her yourself. Lay your life down for her. And young women, if that guy thinks it's a small thing to put you down as a joke, that's a red flag, take it seriously. If that's what he's like on his best behaviour when he's trying to win you, what will he be like in 10 years? Watch how he treats his mother, his sisters. See, maybe he can turn on the charm to win you over, but how does he treat the women in his life who he thinks he can take for granted? If he doesn't honour the woman who gave him life, that's a red flag, take it seriously. Because God says, honour your father and your mother. Now, this idea was revolutionary then and it's actually still revolutionary today because even though we all agree that that mothers should be honoured, there are these things our society does that don't seem to fit. For example, what we celebrate. You know, at the end of the school year, they have a speech night and they give out awards and they invite back a past student who's done something amazing to, to make a speech. A friend of mine pointed out It's the sports star, the musician, the successful business owner, the journalist. You know who they've never had? They've never had a mother. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) What message does that send? Maybe that's one of the reasons that you'll sometimes hear a mum say, I'm just a mum. Just. What message does it send when the options on the form you're filling out are employed, self-employed, looking for work, unemployed? What does a new mum tick? Let me share Victoria's experience. She worked in retail, she worked in cleaning, then she became a school teacher, and then she had her first baby. And she said, almost immediately, people started to ask me, When are you returning to work? As though what she was doing as a mum wasn't work. It's very hard work. She said, I never thought I would be asked it so many times. And do you know what message it sent her? It sent her the message that because she wasn't being paid, what she was doing wasn't valuable. It wasn't contributing to the economy, even though she reckons that raising her children well does contribute to the economy. But that is actually the message we send. Here's an article from the Sydney Morning Herald. Paid work gives meaning to our lives. It gives us a sense of purpose and achievement. There's truth in that, but along with a sense of value. And the more we are paid, the more we feel valued. Now, she's not criticising that view, she's teaching it. The more you are paid, the more you are valued. Now, what does that mean for children or the elderly who can no longer work? No wonder people in our society are doing less and less volunteer work. It doesn't pay anything and therefore, by this logic, it doesn't matter. Except, of course, 
everything that matters most, love, friendship, you can't buy those things. This logic, I think, is actually exactly backwards. The things that pay the most very often matter the least. That's why they have to pay you to do them. But we are constantly being told to measure value by pay. And so what message does that send a mother about the late-night breastfeeds? Worthless. The cuddle, worthless. The conversation in the car, like Aramie was sharing, teaching wisdom in the everyday, not paid? Nah, worthless. It's this way of thinking that gets you headlines like this that I saw on the front page of Sydney Morning Herald about a month ago. Now, hear me carefully... I'm not criticising the article itself. It might very well be arguing for something good for all I know. I just want to notice the message that this little package, the picture, the headline, the words there, the summary, suggests. You've got a picture of a mother with young kids and look at the words. A growing chorus. There's lots of people are urging. There's a sense of urgency around this. The federal government to fund incentives to encourage hundreds of thousands of women to work more hours. Now, again, I'm not commenting on the article itself, but what message is that sending? It says there's lots of people out there that think it's really important that you do less of that and more real work. And so again, don't hear me saying more than I'm saying. I'm not saying anything against a mother doing paid work. The point I'm making is simply this. We know instinctively that mother... Mothers and motherhood ought to be honoured and yet subtly our society does all these surprising things that don't line up and that send a very different message. Yes, but it's not as good as being a sports star or a school teacher or that's real work. Now maybe you'd ask why you're saying all this about mothers and not fathers. Well, it's Mother's Day, not Father's Day. If it was Father's Day, we'd say that fathers matter too, a lot. According to the Bible and also research, from start to finish, the Bible tells fathers to be involved in raising their children. Most of the book of Proverbs is a father teaching wisdom to his son. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so while we're on the topic, I do think that actually many men stay at work longer than they have to because it's easier then being at home with the chaos of the kids and you get awards and promotions at work. There's none of that at home. And they say to themselves, I'm doing it to provide for my family. But I think if you ask their wives, lots of them would happily skip the extra money just to have him home a few more hours. And I know lots of the kids would say the same. And so fathers or people who will be fathers, be involved in the raising of your children. But... I just want to notice something about that reaction. You know, why are you putting this on mothers, not fathers? I think sometimes part of that reaction is an assumption that the parenting bit, that's the lower work, the worst thing. Why aren't you telling men to do it? Just, you know, make it fair. The assumption is it's, it's lower. But that's the exact assumption I'm trying to challenge tonight. It's not the lower thing. It's not the lower thing. Well, maybe measured by the values of the world it is, but measured by what God values, it's a glorious thing. Because mothers give the gift of life at great cost to themselves 
for no other reason than love. Paul says in the famous passage, 1 Corinthians 13, that the most important thing is love. He says it doesn't matter what kind of gifts you've got, without love it's nothing. No matter the achievement, without love it's nothing. Love is the way to measure the value of a life, not dollars. What a stupid measure of value. And so Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is the highest love, not sexual love or romantic love. The highest love is to lay down your life for another. And that's what mothers do. What about fathers? Um, Well, they love too. But there is a difference. First of all, there's the whole pregnancy and birthing thing. I guess we'll never really know which hurts more. You know, giving birth or being kicked in the nuts. I've seen it three times now. And let me tell you, you do not want to be kicked. But childbirth is just a little bit harder. You see, it actually doesn't honour a mother to pretend that her contribution and the father's contribution are just interchangeable. There's a reason in Genesis that the name Adam means dirt and the name Eve means life. (laughs) Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. The Hebrew, Adama, means ground. The word Chava, which we get Eve, Eva, Eve, means living. Now, I was chatting about um, this with Monique this morning while we were mopping up the disaster zone that is breakfast. And from another room, as we're talking, our five-year-old says, yes, it's because God made Adam from the dirt. They're always listening, aren't they? And um, actually, if you you look at Genesis chapter 3, you'll notice that the effects of the fall are felt very differently. Adam feels the effects of the fall in the dirt, in the work as as he farms. And... Eve particularly feels the effects of the fall in child-rearing. I was talking to Monique... Oh, I read that bit. (laughs) Still good, I think, though. (laughs) What an amazing, wonderful thing it is that a new life, a new human being, can grow inside of a mother. What an honour. Praise God for it. Don't hear me saying that that's all women are good for. Did I say that? No. I'm just saying it's a miracle that God chose to create you, a living, breathing, kicking, screaming, mostly intelligent human inside of the body of your mother. That's that's unbelievable. And from what I understand of it, it's not exactly an easy process. And so it's right that we honour them. They give us the gift of life at great cost to themselves for no other reason than love. But actually doesn't stop there, does it? Because then there's breastfeeding. Now, I've tried it. All my six-month-old has tried it on me and he just gets a mouthful of hair. But the World, the World Health Organization... Sorry, Jono. <laughs> the World Health Organization says that breastfeeding is the most nutritious food a baby can get. Now... There's also formula, and praise God for formula. If you need to use formula for whatever reason, don't feel guilty. It's not a failure. Thank God for it. 
Don't take anything I'm about to say as a criticism, it's not. But you may not know that the World Health Organization recommends that babies be breastfed exclusively until six months of age where that's possible and then at that time you start to add in other foods and continue breastfeeding, they say, they recommend, as long as you can, up to two years and then even beyond. I don't know when it stops, surely there's a time. (laughs) And it's associated with, they say, increased IQ. In fact, the longer that a child is breastfed, the higher that effect is, as well as lower risk of obesity diabetes, and in the mothers, lower risk of breast and ovarian cancer. But it's not just nutrition. There's other research that says that the process is a a complex interaction between mother and baby. Physical, biochemical, hormonal, social, there's physical touch, there's spoken words, and there's this, through it all, a deep psychological impact on the child. You know, they've found that a newborn baby can recognise the voice of both father and mother, but it reacts to the voice of the mother in a way it never well in a way it doesn't to the, the voice of the father, both just after birth and just before birth. It reacts to the voice of the mother in a way it doesn't to the father. And, and it seems obvious why, doesn't it? That's the voice that the fetus has been hearing loudest and longest. Unavoidable. And so the average breastfed child gets about two to four hours of physical contact per day with the mother whose voice it knows best. And we know from research that this results in a release of oxytocin for both mother and child. Oxytocin is a hormone that plays a role in social bonding. They call it the hormone of trust. And during breastfeeding, oxytocin is released in the brains of both the mother and the child while the stress hormone cortisol takes a dive for both of them. Now, lots of those things, you can mirror that with a a bottle, especially if you are intentional about it. You know, you make sure it's the mother. And they go slow. You know, a bottle, apparently it takes about half the time to feed with a bottle, and they need to be fed less often. And so there's ways around those things. But the research is, and I feel... I don't want to make people feel guilty... Everyone's doing their best, right? But there's research that show that mothers who breastfeed compared to bottle feed touch their infants more, are more responsive to them and spend more time making eye contact, which results in some kind of a lasting effect in in the security of the child that they can detect, but it's hard to research. And so let me just say really clearly, these are averages doesn't apply to everyone exactly the same way. Formula is a good thing. You can still be an attentive mother, especially a mother's dad. I don't, I don't want to add to people's... But it's, just, it's good to know that we have research on these things. They've even found that mothers and fathers react differently to changes in oxytocin in their brains. So uh, an increase in oxytocin in a mother is associated with an increase of displays of affectionate behaviour toward the child. In the father, when oxytocin increases, it increases the level of what they call stimulatory touch, which means play. It doesn't increase, or at least it's not associated with an increase in affectionate touch. So oxytocin in the mother, more affectionate touch. Oxytocin in the father, more play. And there's also um, a correlation between different levels of testosterone in the, in the father and, or fathers and the way that correlates with the way they interact with a child who's crying. 
there's evidence that fathers tend to play with their children in a different way than mothers do. And there's starting to become uh, evidence and suggestion that you actually need both kinds for healthy neural development. Now, I sense that what I've said might be a bit uh, risky. I feel some trepidation. And so I'm sorry if it's in any way upset or offended. It's not my goal. I'm not sharing my opinions. What I'm trying to build a picture here is that the research is quite clear that mothers and fathers are not interchangeable. They bring different things. There are differences between men and women. A survey asked men and women, if you were free to do either, would you prefer to have a job outside the home or would you prefer to stay at home and take care of the house and family? The majority of women said they'd prefer to stay at home. Now, not a big majority, a slim majority. But the vast majority of men said they'd the opposite. Twice as many. That's just asking people their preferences. In fact, um, the feminist uh, Simone de Beauvoir knew this in 1975. She said this, No woman should be authorised to stay at home and raise her children. Women should not have that choice precisely because if there is such a choice, too many women will make that one. If we let women do what they want to do, we'll never close the gender pay gap, is essentially what she's saying. We'll never have an equal society, at least as some people measure equality, because the gender pay gap is really a motherhood pay gap. The latest report from the Australian Treasury says this. You can see what I do for fun. It's not very fun. Is it? um, <laughs> men and women's earnings follow similar paths. Follow similar paths. Notice that. Until parenthood, at which point their earnings begin to diverge. So catch that. We're not, at least uh, in that summary statement, we're not tending to pay men and women different amounts. What's happening? Well, when kids come along, women tend to work less and to stay working less for longer than men. And so they end up with less experience, less promotions, and so they, they earn less for the rest of their life. One estimate recently put it as an Australian woman will forego $1 million of lifetime earnings. That's a lot. The more children, the more earnings, but actually none of them make as much difference as the first one. Just being a mum bumps you into the not-for-profit sector. Now, that same paper uh, from the Treasury suggests that mothers are an underutilised labour cohort which we could use to boost aggregate output. I don't even know what that means, but I don't like it. <laughs> well, no, maybe it's a good thing. But they're thinking purely in economic terms, aren't they? But to do that, we'll have to stop many of them doing what they say that they want to do. And we'll have to keep them from doing useless things like breastfeeding. I asked my sister, um, who you might know is a clinical psychologist, uh, to do some research for me. She shared it with me. Any mistakes are mine. But I asked her to research the effects of childcare on children. Study after study shows that on average, these are all averages, time spent in childcare in the first four to five years of life is linked to an increase in behavioural problems. The more time they spend in childcare, 
the greater the difference. And so one day or two didn't make a massive difference, but the more days, the bigger the impact. Now, the quality of childcare mattered. Higher quality childcare had uh, more positive effects. Things like academic performance were improved, possibly social skills. And there'll always be a need for childcare. And so, um, let me just say, if you work in one, what you do matters. And it matters that you do it well. But what they found is, after they factored in, they, they took account of all those other factors, childcare quality, parent income, relationship status, parent mental health, parenting style, you name it, isolate all those things, they still found the same effect. On average, the more time that a child spends in childcare in the first four to five years, the more likely they are to have behavioural problems and they found that those behavioural problems last as far as they've been able to study them into um, early adulthood. Now, let me say again, these are averages. Not every child will, will have those effects and they won't all have them to the same extent. And there's lots of other factors that matter, many of them much more, actually. Uh, and there, there probably are some situations where being in childcare is better than not. But these things, they're, they're, they're helpful to know, aren't they? I'm not having a go at childcare. What I'm really saying is that it matters that kids spend time with their parents. There just is no replacement for that. To be crystal clear, I am not saying that it's bad for mothers to have a paid employment. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be involved in the community in a million other ways as well. We had Proverbs 31 read before and we won't have time to go through it, but if you look at it, she's a wife, she's a mother, she's not stuck in the home, she buys and sells property, she runs her own business, she's honoured because she makes decisions on her own with wisdom and strength. One more caveat and we'll move towards wrapping up. The valuable work of mothers is not just in nursing young children. Now, that's a very intense season but it actually doesn't last for very long. There are decades and decades after that of a very different kind of mothering. We haven't got time to go in tonight, but um, theologian John Calvin on uh, reflecting on Lois and Eunice, you know Lois and Eunice, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, they're Timothy's mother and grandmother. And 2 Timothy 3, 15, uh, that seems to be the reason that Paul can say to him, since early childhood, you've known the Scriptures. John Calvin says, see, it really matters that women have good theology because they end up doing lots of the teaching of youngsters, as, as should men as well. We haven't had time to go into all those different aspects of, of parenting and mothering tonight. But I've covered these ones because it helps to see the cost that mothers pay so that we can rightly honour them. So we can rightly honour them for the gift they've given us. They've given us life and it has come at great cost to themselves. And why have they done it? For love. Why else would you do it? Naomi Wolf said, Pregnancy is difficult. Childbirth is painful. Breastfeeding takes skill and patience. Mothering can be tedious. Fathers don't do their share of the housework. And she could add, And it costs a million dollars. And then, of course, we haven't even gone into the biggest cost of all, your freedom. Uh, the Australian celebrity uh, Chrissy Swan said on a podcast called The Imperfects that having a child is catastrophic to your way of life. That's a good quote. It's very true. 
Having a child is catastrophic to your way of life. We love convenience, but children are not convenient. They limit your freedom. And our society prizes freedom above anything else. You know the greatest sin that it's possible to commit in our culture? It's to tell someone that they can't be or do something that they want to be or do. But that's what a mother does when she becomes a mother. She limits her freedom. Because you can never go back from that. You can't stop being a mother. It's about the only thing you can do that you can't reverse. It'll change your responsibilities and obligations permanently. And so why do they do it? For love. And that recalibrates us. Because it shows us that freedom is not the most important thing. That value is not measured in dollars, but in love. And if life is measured in love, then if you're a mother here tonight, what you have done is more significant than anything the Prime Minister or the King of England will ever do. You've laid down your life for the sake of ours. And in that, you've pointed us to Jesus. Jesus gave his life on the cross so that we could have eternal life. The cross was catastrophic to Jesus' way of life. He laid down every freedom as he let them drive nails into his hand and he endured the agony of death. He laid down his life at great cost for the sake of love to give you life. And so if you're a mother here tonight, our deepest prayer is that you, who loved us by giving us life, will know the love of the one who gave you life. In fact, the one who gave his life on the cross to offer you eternal life. You know, surveys show that most mothers think they're failing. Mother, mother guilt, mum guilt, it's real. And sometimes mums are, are being a bit hard on themselves. They're trying to live up to a standard of, of perfection, of doing it all that actually only really exists on social media. But sometimes, and, and it's not just mothers for this, sometimes we feel guilt for things we know that we've done that were wrong. Burdened for choices we've made in the past. The message of Christianity is liberating because it is a message that deals with guilt. Jesus died to take away our guilt, all of it, every mistake, gone forever, tied with rocks, sunk to the deepest part of the ocean. The gospel says that if you trust in Jesus, your identity is not primarily mother or not mother, it's not good mother or bad mother, it's child of God. The gospel says you're loved despite your failures. Your value is not tied to your performance. Your status is not based on your roles. You matter to God regardless of whether or not you have children. You mattered to him before you had children. Because the most important thing about you is not whether or not you have kids, but whether God is your father, whether Jesus is your brother, and every other Christian, your brother, sister, son, daughter, mother. And so, mothers, we pray you find this life in Jesus. And all of us, brothers and sisters, honour your mother. But not just your mother. The single mothers who do an amazing job. Pray for them, support them. Honour the mothers who chose to keep the baby. Honour the spiritual mothers you have in this church. And if one day you have the opportunity to become a mother, or your wife does, really cherish it. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your love, uh, sending Jesus and, and his love that he laid down his life for us, his friends. Help us to live our lives, not measuring things by 
the world's standards, but by yours, by love. In Jesus' name, amen.